Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Um, we, I, I planned on finishing the chapter, but I found out last service that's not going to happen. So um, we're going to get down through verse, uh, I think I got to about verse 13 or something. Um, let's see, how far did I get last time? Yeah, down to the end of verse 13. So that's how far we're going to get. The title is, Do You Hear Him? And let me go ahead and read a couple of these verses in just a moment. But by way of introduction, the author is now going to give examples of those who did not hold firm to the end. Look at verse 6. Look at the exhortation he gives. He tells them to hold firm to the end. Now he's going to give an example of a generation that did not hold firm to the end. But it was a unique generation. It was a generation that saw the manifested power and presence of God like very few generations in the history of the world have. The generation that had the exodus displayed before them where the ten plagues were, were poured out and they were delivered and walked through the Red Sea and water from a rock and food every morning called manna. They saw the power of God and yet they departed from the Lord. And so he's concerned that they're going to make this same grievous error of hardening their hearts to the Lord in unbelief. And so he's going to write to say, look, this has happened before. And essentially what he's saying, don't do the same thing. Don't make the same mistake. This chapter is meant to be a sober warning from their own history. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at some, another warning that, that comes from one of the disciples of, of Jesus that warns us. So let's read verse 7. And we'll read, we'll read down to verse 15 just to kind of get the whole context of it. But verse 7 says, Therefore... As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they should not enter my rest. Beware, brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion." We begin looking there at verses 7 through 9 where the exhortation is to not ignore God. He uses the word if. I'm reading from the New King James Version. So some of you will have, I, I know this, if you have the New Living Translation, it's not going to use the word if, it's going to use the word when. So the word if um, in the Greek language, is, it's a conditional clause, of course, but it also has many different meanings. And it can mean if, and it's likely that it's not going to happen. Or it can mean if, and it's most likely going to happen. So there's all these different uses of this. But this is an occasion when the word if speaks of the probability of that activity that's being expressed actually being experienced. And so what is the activity that God would speak to us? Well, it's not if as in maybe, it's if as in when God speaks. How does this book open up? 
in chapter one, it says that in these last days, God has, what? Spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of whether or not God speaks to us. God has spoken to us. So don't think of if as in, yeah, God doesn't speak to me. No, God has spoken to you. God has spoken to me. He has spoken to this entire world through his son, Jesus Christ. And the cross calls mankind to come in repentance and to follow the Lord. So it's not if, as in he may or may not, it's he has spoken. And yet he's writing to believers. And he's, what he's saying to them is, you need to hear it when he speaks. So God has spoken. Have you heard him? Believer, you have understood that Jesus is the Messiah and you've answered that call to follow him, but that he has not stopped speaking. He continues to speak to us primarily through his word. We have a book. I, you, I have this book up here on the pulpit. You've got it on your lap. You got it in your app. You've got this and you know what the word of God has to say, or at least it's available for you to go and to read it and to, and to hear what the Lord has to say. But you gotta open it. You've gotta read it. You've gotta study it. And I think where we end up many times in our life because of decisions and pressure and circumstances and trials, we're like, Lord, I need to know what to do now. I gotta hear you. I gotta hear you. I gotta hear you. I gotta hear you. And we do need to hear him. But we also need to hear what the word of God has to say. And I have... Well, I believe from my own life and just from the way we, we can see the word of God being used is that a lot of times we're not even listening to what he has already said in written form. We're not even taking the time to open the Bible and to read it as, a, as some grand treasure that it is. The, you know, the, the, the writer of Proverbs talks about it as being like silver and gold, better than rubies. And yet we have it and we don't read it. Or if we read it, we brush it off because we don't think that it really has application to my life today and how to live. And then we wanted to say, Lord, I'm in a crisis. I need to hear. It's not that God won't. Sometimes he'll even be gracious and speak. But don't be surprised if the Lord's like, you want to hear me? You, you want to hear what I have to say? I've been trying to talk to you for months, for years, and you keep pushing my word aside. I realize I'm probably talking to the wrong crowd. You're not even going to church. <laughs> you know, you, this is not a priority. Fellowship is not a priority. And you're saying that you're desperate to hear me? I, I don't know that you are desperate to hear me. Because if you did, you would have been opening this book. You would have been reading it. You would have been communing with me. And listen, this is not simply some academic or cerebral venture that we're talking about. Getting into the word of God is getting into who God is. It's where we meet with him. It's not a dead book. It's a living, powerful book. God has chosen to interact with our spirit through his written word. And so when we continually push it to the side, we're not hearing what he had to say. Oh, we know it's there. He spoke. We know when he spoke. We've got it written down. But, we're, but the question is not, in the, in the, of condition is not, is God going to speak? But is, are we going to hear him when he speaks? Now, that's a different matter, isn't it? And we need to hear what he has to say. In verse 8, he says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. So a warning is given to not harden their hearts like the wilderness generation did. By harden, we're thinking about resisting the voice and the message that the Lord is giving. 
Maybe the issue isn't that you haven't been hearing God. You know he's been speaking, but you have hardened your heart to the voice that has spoken. You're pushing it aside. You're resisting that message that he has been so faithful and so gracious and so patient and long-suffering to deliver to you. And you know it. You've heard it. You know exactly, for some of you, you know exactly what God has been saying to you over these last weeks and months of your life. But the problem is, it's not that he hasn't spoken, and it isn't even that you haven't heard. The problem is, you don't like what he said. And so your heart is becoming hardened. And and you begin to talk to other people. Well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And you're you're fishing for somebody that's going to confirm the decision that you want to make, although you know what God has said. If you fish long enough, you're going to get a bite. You can find a pastor that's going to tell you something other than what the Bible says. You can find a, 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 somebody that will affirm the direction you want to go in that's in direct contradiction to the word of God. And in that process, what is happening, though, is that you are hardening your heart. When God speaks to me, my response will answer the question, do I value him? Do I value him? If somebody speaks to you, Do you take the time to listen? Now, listen, all of us can get distracted when somebody's talking and we need to be made alert. It's not that we're making a statement, but when we get beyond that and we've actually heard what they've had to say, do I walk in obedience? Because if I do, I value. You're like, well, I don't know if that's a fair test. Okay, how about this one? If you love me, what? Obey me. So I think it is a fair comparison to say that our obedience to the Lord is a statement of our value of the Lord. You can try and dismiss it if you want and disconnect it, but I don't believe you can. And I think that's why the book of Hebrews was written. I can't prove it 100%, but I really believe this is what's going on. These believers, they had, they had received the law of Moses. They had been a part of the, 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 the sacrifices at the temple and going and offering it up and the beautiful feasts and festivals. They enjoyed it. They loved it. It was a celebration. It's exactly how God said, draw near to me. And they had done that throughout their generations. There was something beautiful and holy and traditional about it. And it was all of God. But then the day came when that was no longer how God was working. His revelation progressed and found its fulfillment. Colossians 2.17, that all the feasts and the festivals and the new moons, they are a shadow of things to come, but Christ is the what? The substance. He's the real deal of all of this. So we no longer are going to cling to the shadow of the old covenant. We're going to cling to the substance of Christ the son of God. I think this group here in the book of Hebrews had this thought, well, we still like Jesus, but we are going to go back to the temple and we are going to get involved in the sacrifices and we are going to begin to keep those things. Not making the connection to, to go back to this was to reject what God has provided in his son, Jesus. And the book of Hebrews was written to show them that connection. That's why there's so much detail. That's why it's such a logical argument. And yet, For us, we're like, I don't have to obey him. I don't have to listen to him. I can go back to thinking like that and acting like that and living like that. And it's not going to affect. I still think Jesus is a good guy. But if you love me, 
keep my commandments. So when the word of the Lord has been spoken and it has been spoken and you have heard it and you have received it, if you harden your hearts and don't obey it, then I would say you are making a statement of what you think of your Lord and master. You're not. At the very least, we're saying you're not my Lord and master. I've got other ideas, other uh, opinions that are out there that mean something to me. He says there in verse 9 that the Israelites tested him. They doubted him and his faithfulness. And he says that they did it repeatedly. He says, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. This wasn't a once-off incident. This had become the pattern of their life. They left Egypt with a mighty deliverance. They saw the ten plagues and the hand of God liberating them. He saw them open the Red Sea, close the Red Sea, destroy the Egyptian army. He saw them give them water. He saw, they saw them, excuse me, they saw him uh, feed them food. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1, 2, and 7 read like this. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel, this is the wilderness generation we've been talking about, set out on their journey from the, uh, the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Now that's not a sin. That was the circumstance. That was the difficulty. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you, why do you tempt the Lord? Verse 7, so he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel. Because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? That phrase, that's, I mean, this is a high offense to God. I mean, read it in Hebrews, read it here. This last statement, is the Lord among us or not? He found this as a testing of his faithfulness and his kindness and his love, and he became angry with them over this lack of faith. What do you mean am I among you? What about the 10 plagues? Do you remember the flies? Do you, do you remember the boils? Do you remember the death angel? Do you remember the water turning to blood? What do you mean, am I among you? Did you see the Red Sea when I opened it and closed it and devoured your enemies? What about all of these things that, are, that I've done for you? What do you mean, am I among you or not? And the Lord found great offense at this because they tested him. Who are we to test the Lord? God is not a man. God is not even some being that's slightly above man that's worthy to be evaluated. He is God Almighty. He's a creator of the universe. We puny men are going to come and evaluate God in his ways and determine whether he is righteous or good, whether he should be followed or not. And the Lord says, you've tested me. You know, when Jesus came to the uh, earth, lived 30 years, started ministry, was crucified at 33. But what we read in the Gospels is that they rejected him. I don't know the exact reference. I look it up if you need me to. But the word for rejected is to examine and flunk. Think about that. God in the flesh, walking, showing his power and his might, raising people from the dead. They examined him and they said, you fail. And not only are you kicked out of class, we're going to crucify you. 
And so they rejected him. This was a problem that was not isolated to one generation. That had happened in the generation that was in, in recent memory as uh, the writer of Hebrews was communicating. You know, if the entire world was to gather together from every generation and we were to have a single voice that agreed on one thing and that God is not loving, kind, and just, then we would have to be reminded of the verse that says, let God be true and what? All of creation. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter the opinion we come to. If we come to an opinion other than who God has revealed himself to be in the word and we reject him and we dismiss him, we're the liars. It's not, the fault does not lie with God. Now listen, I understand, and the Lord did too, that sometimes you just get thirsty. Sometimes circumstances in life challenge us. That's not the sin, that's not the problem. The problem is, is when we're thirsty, we say, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care for me. If God found this offensive, how do you think he feels when we, after seeing his love displayed in sending his son and his son dying on the cross and rising from the dead, how do you think it makes him feel, based on what we just read here, when we say, you don't love me, you don't care for me, you're not paying attention to me? Oh, the Lord finds that offensive. I get it. We all are tempted to have those thoughts. I would be surprised if there isn't somebody, or I mean all of us in here, um, but I'd be surprised if somebody said that it hasn't happened to me. If you have not had an unwelcome thought that comes in like an intruder to your mind that questions the character and the nature of God. We all have that. Something goes on, you know, the bill comes in. Somebody, you know, does something to you that you don't like or you get a doctor's report and it's easy. The enemy's just like, he's right there and he's got that, that bow and that arrow and he's ready to go and as soon as that enemy shoots that thought that says, see, God doesn't love you and you're like, why am I even thinking that? Of course God loves me. And you have these unwelcome thoughts that come into your mind. Those aren't ours. Those are not our thoughts. That's temptation to think that. But when you're offended and you reject it and you dismiss it and you reason and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I know you love me. I know you care for me after all you've done. This is not a right thought. I am not testing you, Lord. I'm not trying you to see if you, you know, if you walk my way, then you pass and you're loving. But if you do it your own way and I don't understand it, that you're not. I'm not doing that, Lord. That's not sin. That's not a problem. That's just living life out. It becomes a problem when I pick the thought up and I hold on to it. And now I start to develop an opinion about him. And I begin to withdraw from him. And I begin to speak evil against him. That's the problem. That's the issue that's going on. So it's not just being thirsty. It's not having a, a, a bad report. It's not. I, you know, I'll just be candid and honest. So this, this past week, I think it's this week, it's been a crazy week for me. But um, I, I woke up super early on the day I wanted to sleep in. Does that happen to anybody else? It's like, man, I have like, I had sleep planned, you know? I even put it on do not disturb and my wife knew and it's like I was gonna sleep, no, 4.30 in the morning. And I'm up and I can't, but you know what's going on? I'm like, in my mind, I have this troubling it's not a vision dream, it's a word dream. I don't know how to explain it any other way. It's just thoughts in my head. And it's like, I have, you know, so I've got a liver condition, but it's like, you have liver cancer, you're gonna die. And, I, and it's like, I'm not gonna die, whatever. I'm, 
but I just could not shake that thought and it kept me awake. I'm like, forget it, I'm just gonna get up. And so, um, you know, but and I told Rebecca, I said, yeah, I was like, it was felt real in that moment, but I, you know, I kept dismissing it, but I just eventually said, I'm not gonna do this, I'm just getting out of bed. Cause I was rather than, I'm like, get up, be productive. This is what I'm thinking, rather than being tormented in my dreams that I don't believe is true. And then this week I had blood work and, they, and I, got, I was somewhere and the doctor said, hey, um, uh, we gotta retest your, your blood. This thing didn't come back good. I'm like, well, maybe that wasn't such a stupid dream. That was my first thought. I was like, maybe this wasn't such a stupid dream. Um, and um, so I began to think about it. It's like, well, if I'm gonna, what am I gonna do? And Lord, what's your plan for my, you know, all these really sobering, serious thoughts are happening. And so I shoot off the text and I get, the, I get it back and says, oh no, we put the wrong date on the blood. They wouldn't run the blood test because it was the wrong date. You just got to give it again. Like, whew, stupid dream. You know, so, but you know, in that moment, you know, it's there. things like that happen and you, you can't evaluate and you wonder and you have all kinds of questions. That's not the problem. It's when I land on a conclusion about the Lord and my finger begins to go up in his face. And I say, you're not present. You're not among me. You're not with me. And the Lord says, I find that offensive. What do you mean? It's like, my son on the cross. Now here's the thing. Has the cross of Jesus Christ become such a familiar truth to yourself and to me that that no longer moves the needle? That it no longer impacts me. I, I'm no longer affected by the faithfulness of God and his love and his care. I am like this generation that says, you're not with me. Don't say that, believer. He has laid down his life for you. Well, I believe that, but it just is not helping. And then get on your face and cry out and say, Lord, what has happened in my heart? That, your cross, and the sacrifice of your son doesn't change how I feel and think about you anymore. And we need to, because as you can see in this passage, he fully expects his past faithfulness to have a present impact on my current life. It's heavy. Verses 10 and 11. We see the consequences of a hard heart. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is a quote from some Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is an invitation to come and worship the Lord. So what's the significance of that in this passage? Here it is. It's always about worship. It is always about worship. Whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going to go through, whatever I went through, it's always a question about my response to the Lord. It is always about worship. What is worship? It is declaring the goodness and the greatness of God. And so he quotes from a psalm where they weren't worshiping. But the Lord invites you to worship. But what we see here, the consequences of the hard heart is promises forfeited. You're not going to enter the land. You're not going to enter the rest. And that's what the whole exodus was about. It was all about getting out from bondage and going and inheriting the promises of God that had been given to Father Abraham. He had many sons, right? And, and it's all about that. And yet he's saying, you're not going to be able to do that. You're out of bondage, but you're not going to enter into the land. They were, they were pilgrims traveling through a dry and weary land. And he says, you're not going to ever get out of that. 
because my anger is kindled against you, because you've said, I'm not in your midst. And so the Lord responds in a very um, significant way. Numbers 14, verses 22 through 24. We read about this other occasion where the Lord says, fine, you're not entering in. We, read, we can actually know exactly what's being talked about here in verses 10 and 11. Numbers 14, verse 22, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these 10 times. 10 times. They didn't dip into the, doubt, into the bag of unbelief once. They did it 10 times. They always go astray in their heart. And what was th that they were going astray in? That God's glory and God's sign is not among us. He says, and they have not heeded my voice, the end of verse 22. Verse 23, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he is a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. So the author of Hebrews is drawing upon all of these accounts of their past, of which they were all very familiar with because they were Jews. They knew these accounts. They knew these uh, interventions of God in their midst and the sin. And he says, you're, you're doing the same thing. You're doing the same thing. The same spirit of unbelief was at work. They had heard of these failures in the past. And now they have Jesus in front of them. And how are they going to respond? Are they going to walk away from him? Are they going to say, well, you know, we really miss these things over here. We, 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 you know, for the wilderness generation, we miss the onions and the leeks. For this generation, the book of Hebrews, we miss going to the temple. But you're giving up Jesus. You're walking away from Jesus. That is no small sin. That is a, 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 a terrible thing that you would walk down that road. We need to know that Compromise hardens our heart to the voice of the Lord. It hardens our heart. It puts us in a place where we're not willing to hear what he has to say. Did you see in there in verse 22? They've, they've tempted me these 10 times and have not heeded my voice because they're no longer willing to do that. You can make a choice today to follow the Lord or you can make a choice to not follow the Lord. If you're questioning whether you will follow Jesus or if you will obey him, know that your heart is already in that hardening process. I'm not saying that it is beyond repair. I'm not intimating that in any part of my message. But you are in that process if you're thinking about walking away from Jesus. This has begin, begun to happen. You didn't feel this way 10 years ago. You didn't feel this way six months ago. But now, right now, you're beginning to wonder if you're going to keep following the Lord. And so they were in the book of Hebrews. Look at verses 12 and 13. How do we avoid the hard heart? He says, beware lest, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Number one, beware of unbelief. Put on, you know, and a lot of what I've tried to do is to, to alert us to this. Be on constant guard 
that your heart could be pulled away in unbelief. Unbelief meaning a departure from God. When we allow unbelief to rule the day, we're putting ourselves in that dangerous position of departing from God. Again, not simply talking about questions that we all deal with and need the answers in, but I'm actually gotten to the place where I'm, I think it's a reasonable thing to maybe walk away from the Lord. So I need to be aware of unbelief. You also need to know this, is that unbelief is an evil thing. It's an evil thing. Beware, brethren, lest, any, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. If you were to make, and I was to make a list of 10 things without having heard this message, just like two weeks ago, hey, write down 10 things that are evil from the word of God. I wonder if unbelief would have even entered into that list. Because when I think of evil, I'm thinking murder, I'm thinking of a lot of other things. But look at what God's saying, and that is evil, <laughs> okay? It is evil. But here in this context, what we're reading, the evil thing that they did was they did not believe. I wonder if that, do we see that? Do we see that, that for me to not believe in the goodness and the faithfulness of God, that I should hear him and obey him, that is an evil thing if I would say I'm not going to do it? pretty serious. So how to avoid a hard heart? Beware of unbelief. Know that unbelief is an evil thing. And then verse 13, exhort one another. He says, but exhort one another. And how often are we to exhort one another? Daily. The word daily means to, daily, the word exhort, uh, parakaleo means to urge strongly. When's the last time you've urged somebody strongly, passionately, to follow Jesus and believe in him. Well, you know, they're having un, you know, doubts and unbeliefs and I, I, I don't want to be you know, rude and just urge them to believe. No, the exhortation is exhort one another. Exhort one another. But you know what? I've got to be close enough to you and you've got to be close enough to me to know when I need or you need exhortation. So if we're not pulling together and not involving our lives with each other, how are we going to ever know that it's time to give that exhortation? And it should be that it's, it's, we're ready to do it at all times. I don't think that it's, it's needed daily, but that we daily ought to be prepared to give it when it's necessary. Well, I don't know. No, this is a commandment, is that we should do this. We need to make certain that our friendships and among the body of Christ are not simply social, but they are also deeply spiritual. Deeply spiritual. It's not to say you can't go fishing, hunting, watch sports. Okay, fine, any of that stuff. But before anything else, they are deeply spiritual relationships that I have. If you can't talk about Jesus to your spouse, if you can't talk about Jesus because it feels awkward for you to bring up his name to your children, if you can't talk about Jesus to your friends and your roommates, something's wrong. And I, the only thing I can say is just get over the awkwardness and talk about Jesus all day long today. It'll be easier tomorrow, don't you think? Just do it. Say, you know what? I find it awkward to bring up Jesus, and I don't even know why, but I'm not going to let that happen another second. Let's talk about Jesus all day long, and you'll get over it. And you'll have that opportunity to communicate. And then lastly, we need to understand what the fruit of sin is. It deceives, right? Sin is deceitful. 
It hardens the heart, but sin never tells the truth about itself. Lust never says, by the way, I'm here to mess up your life. I'm here to drive you away from Jesus. Lust, you know, when we're lusting after someone else or something else or some other savior says, I'm here to ruin your faith in Jesus and to keep you from entering the land of the rest, which for us is heaven. It's not the promised land. The promised land is heaven. We need to be careful. We need to be on guard. When we tolerate sin, it quickly makes its work to harden our hearts. The way to ensure that you never develop a hard heart to the Lord is to never tolerate sin of any kind in your life. Beware of the little sins. It's the little things that lead to a big moment in all of our life. We understand the big ones, the big sins are harmful, but do we understand the place of the little sins? You know, there's an example from the life of a a disciple of the Lord. who's a lot like this wilderness generation. Who do you think I'm thinking about? It's easy, Judas. Judas saw the power of God. He walked with God. He probably performed miracles of casting out demons and healing people just like all the other disciples did when they were sent out as the 12 and when they were sent out as the 70. He saw that, but yet there was something going on in the heart of Judas, not simply on the Passover night when he was offered 30 pieces of silver and he said, I'll take it, that's a bargain. Something was going on before that, wasn't it? And we can know this definitively because in John 12, 6, we read, of Judas, not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often, often stole some for himself. So he had the purse and he would go into it and he'd be like, you know what? There's a lot of money in here. I'm just gonna take one. It's not a big deal. I mean, look it, there's a bunch in here. It's not the 30 pieces of silver on the night that he, that he betrayed the Lord. This is a different purse. But he's like, I'm just going to take one. And this one thing, who's that going to They're not going to even know. Besides that, you know, these guys are a bunch of clowns. They're always arguing over who's the greatest, and they're sinking in the water, and they're doing all kinds of stuff, getting rebuked by Jesus. None of that stuff happens to me. I'm the one that's got the money. He trusts me. I'm just going to take one. It'll be all right. It's not going to matter. It's not going to hurt anything. And he would take it. And as he did this, one by one, he became a thief. Was he a thief the first time he put his hand into the purse and pulled out the coin and looked at it and thought, you ought to take it? He wasn't a thief yet, was he? He, he, he hadn't made that, that decision that was going to turn him into a certain person because it was just a temptation. And here's the good news. Our faith is fully prepared to deal with that temptation. Fully can deal with that. But I watched a a brother give this illustration this past weekend, and he says, you know what our faith is not equipped to do? It's not equipped to deal with the 30 pieces that are in our hand. Well, there's a way of escape when that one is in our mind, when we're, we're thinking about that one click, when we're thinking about buying that one bottle, when we're thinking about going and getting that you know, couple of joints, we're just gonna get high, I'm just gonna get drunk once, I'm not gonna do it all the time, I'm just gonna get it once, I'm only gonna do it once, I'm only gonna kiss her once, I'm only gonna lust after him once, and I know I've got a spouse, but you know what, he's the kind of guy I really want, and we pull out the coin. And we're thinking it's all right, it's okay, it's no big deal. I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a thief, I'm not a drunkard, I'm not a pothead. I'm not a druggie. 
I'm not an abusive, but man, I'm going to let my wife have it now. And we begin to just lay it, and you begin to walk down a path and a pattern. You're just taking one. But I'll tell you, our faith is prepared to do, is maybe you did click, or maybe you did get drunk, or whatever. It, is, it does allow for us to put the coin back in. And what do we call putting the coin back in? We call it repentance. I'm done with it. I'm over. But, you know, that's not what Judas did. He kept taking the one. He kept taking the one. And his heart became what? Hardened. The first time he took the coin, he would have never taken the bag of silver. But it's when he became a thief and his heart was hardened. Now he was primed and he was set up. That when he was offered 30 pieces of silver, it seemed like the most logical and reasonable thing to do. He had been deceived by his lust and his sin until he committed the sin. And the second he committed the sin, Satan was there to, to drive him to the place, not to repent, but to take his life. That's what sin does. So we walk a narrow path. And we don't want to compromise. We want to repent. Our faith is meant to deal with one coin, but not 30. A way of escape is provided for the one coin, but not the 30. I realize that's an interesting statement that maybe you have some problems with, but I encourage you to consider it. You know, I, I think we can go so far that we give Satan so much land in our, of our life that he now controls every aspect of us. And you might be saying, oh, it's just it's one thought, it's one thing, it's, one, it's just got drunk once, I just got high once, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not a drug addict, what are you talking about? I'm not an adulterer, I'm not an adulteress, it just was, it was one kiss, it was one, it was one romantic night with her or with him, it's no big deal. You put the coin back. Put the coin back. Because what we see here is that sin is deceitful and it will not maybe it will harden your heart leading to a departing of the Lord and so we have opportunity to do business with the Lord this morning the worship team is not going to be up here I just want us to bow our heads let's pray let's talk to the Lord Lord you are good you are faithful Lord we just want to say that you are among us and you have shown love to us. Lord, we don't understand maybe the thirst we have right now. And we may have all kinds of thoughts running through our heart and mind of why not this and how come that. But Lord, what we do know for certain is that you are good and you are loving and you are kind and the cross screams out your love for us. And Lord, we want to embrace that. We want to take that. We want that to touch our hearts this morning. Touch our hearts, Lord.